There we go. All right, there it is. <laughs> and the drum intro to From the Red Room. Ooh. Uh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd like to say welcome this evening, but at least it's evening here. I'm uh, not sure what time or place it is that you're hearing this, but hopefully you are, whoever you might be. Uh, tonight from the Red Room, I have uh, my guest, Guillermo Matreña, number four? The fourth, yes. The, the fourth. Um, glad to have him here tonight. Let's have another little uh, hello there from you, sir. Hello, hello, everybody <laughs> out there in Cyberland. I'd like to thank my good friend, Mitch Proctor, for having me here on his project. Ah, project. I like that. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the Twin Peaks theme. Oh, well, actually, that's one of the things I, I put on there uh, most recently. I was really excited for this evening because I have you to thank. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I saw the uh, the comment. Did you? Yeah. And uh, I wasn't really aware that I that I had ushered you down the path of uh, <laughs> pie plates and donuts mm -hmm. and coffee. And speaking of ah. coffee, uh, I want to thank you for this awesome cup of Death Wish coffee. <laughs> Uh, if, Looking for sponsors. If Zach is listening, uh, hey, you should send him some bags because you're getting some free promo here. Valhalla Java. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Caffeinated to the point of uh, extreme. Uh, the the gods have the gods <laughs> coffee. Anyway, <laughs> but yes, you you introduced me because I, uh, we met. It was probably 96, 97, maybe not as late as 97, maybe as early as 95. Um, I actually remember the first time we met out and about in a social setting was at Zia Records. Uh, I was still fresh from uh, small town USA, and I had on uh, the shirt that I had made for my little small town band, and I was so <laughs> proud of it. I was like, yeah, look, we even have shirts. <laughs> uh, you were very kind, very uh, uh, accommodating to that. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was, uh, that was our, the, the first time, because well, I had met you at your place of business, and was immediately like, wow, this guy's got taste. He's got, he likes cool stuff. <laughs> a cool guy. And, and you had the long hair at the time still. And I think I did as well. So I was immediately like, ah, oh, kindred spirit. So I, I saw you there at the Zia. Oh, you I remember thought, this instance? I, I remember seeing you at the Zia. And okay. I remember going, oh, wait, is that guy going to grab the Cure import discs that I'm here for? <laughs> Would I make a mistake in like waiting to get over there and looking at Depeche Mode first? Yes, yes, you did. Yeah, I totally did. <laughs> <laughs> did I though? Did you, were you actually, was it some Cure that you were chasing down? Uh, you know, I think at that point I honestly had most of the catalog and most of the imports worth having. So mm -hmm. it, it was probably a good thing that if you grabbed anything out from under me, because yeah, um, <laughs> didn't, didn't need more at the time. About a third of my paycheck was going to Zia records and I would go there every other day after work and hunt for stuff. And I'd go to PDQ and, uh, now I'm sitting on so many CDs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's actually, I would love to have you back and just discuss the transition that media and music has gone through because I don't think anyone probably listening right now, except for those who might be of ours, certain age group would even recognize what we're talking about or the hunt for imports and rare bootlegs would well, they i think they would i think it's it's um as much as i don't wish to endorse hipster culture um with the vinyl renaissance that's going on which by the way i i don't i don't think those are acoustically superior i think it's a load <laughs> of rubbish i think there's there's a there's some chicanery going on with that anyhow um 
that they do. They go and they assume the praying mantis pose in front of the bins oh, and they flip through. Pose. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And then of course they, you know, take them out of the sleeves and look at condition and all that other nonsense. But yeah, and I think there seems to be a a, a culture of acquisition still and a um a searching for credibility which you and i have never mm. needed because we're above that sort of thing <laughs> and um yeah i mean the kids out there that's what they're spending their money on so do you think it's a less uh, authentic chase that's going on now or do you think that because uh, at the time like for us it was it was it you know if you could find anything and there was no internet to be able to track some of this stuff down yeah it was uh, bootlegs being passed around on on cassette tapes and um some stuff I again was re- recording off the radio, you know, a sad version of the Cure's "Take to the Sky." I chased that <laughs> song for years, trying to find a good like uh, professional recording of it. And but anyway, that again, like I said, I'd love to sit down and chat about that. I, I think it was that, that that stuff wasn't readily available at the time, which is why we had to hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was more about finding the live performance and finding the B sides and finding the 12 inch bootleg mix out of some DJ in LA that did something really awesome with a forest. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was, that was the thrill of it. Whereas I think now, uh, I think the kids are doing it to show off to dates that they managed to get home. I, I can't, I can't really comment too much. Again, we start to head down that, uh, chastising alley of like, Oh, well, these guys today don't, you know, kids today kind of thing, which I have been known to, uh, wander down quite a lot. But, uh, yeah, I, I, th- I think that's pretty accurate, pretty accurate. Um, it, and that goes along with the, the, the snapping chatting and the Facebooking. I would rather have one really great experience rather than a new experience to chat out every day or something. When I think that's what the culture is leaning towards, like for them, it's like, look, you talk about a culture of acquisition Mm -hmm. um, and, but it's acquisition, discard, acquisition, discard. Um, But again, I'm not part of it, so I can't comment too much on it, but that's how I feel. That's my observation. I I agree with your observation. I I think that there is a a daily kind of, um, Kleenex tissue um, use of media and it becomes about momentary entertainment mm-hmm. and stream and quantity of of this kind of snack food kind of thing and then you throw the bag away whereas um, I think when you finally grow up a little bit or at least get older if growing up is some sort of illusion which okay. that's very arguable um that you look back and you go, oh my God, this person was super valuable to me. This conversation I had at this time in my life helped make me who I am. Um, and those are the things that at the end of the day that you, that you keep and that you treasure and that you're thankful for, which I think is kind of the focus of what that's you're really to what you, yeah, you really brought it right around to that. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You're, you're going back through the river of your life and panning for the gold mm-hmm. and, um, Thank you. I'm flattered to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so the panning for that gold, and yes, and I again, I would we'll come back and do a whole uh, piece on uh, recorded music and media and hipster culture because I love it. It's fun to talk about. It's, oh, it's, it's really <laughs> worth digging into. Um, but yeah, so that that uh, that day at Zia, if indeed you do remember it, I was, I do. Yeah. I was yeah, I was immediately like, oh wow, because uh, again, small town. 
you were the guy with the cool job with uh, music and books. I'm going to work there one day. I'm going to work. I'm going to get to like hang out with the cool kids and, you know, sell books and sell music and, and be be uh, involved in the art. Uh, you know, Because for me at the time, aside from being a small band, that was the closest thing I could get to. Uh, participating in the arts and then that's changed as well i think i think you're i think we're both to talk about the nature of friendship and to talk about when you meet somebody and you see qualities in them you admire that was going on at the same time mitch that was a two-way street i mean you bravely came to the big city i mean not <laughs> not to put too put a spin yeah. on it but um and you were you were perhaps naive but you were honest and real Thank you. And there were ni- there were nights there where I called you or I just showed up at your place and you were there for me. Uh, I was remember I was having a really rotten night and I went to the fine line and I got the girl bartender there to make me a bunch of really awful drinks that I'd always <laughs> wanted to try. And they were awful. And I realized why they're not normally served. And um, you showed up and we ended up talking in the parking lot for a good 45 minutes. And you let me kind of like work through my nonsense which i can't even remember at this point what you know was... i almost completely forgot about that instance but now it's it's you're ringing that bell Dude, of we were memory standing yeah. in the rain talking i remember it was like drizzling that's pretty awesome <laughs> and it was just like uh, you know and you were there and you weren't like trying to cut it short you know what i mean you were like oh my god this guy is so self-involved which at the time i probably was well are we all from time to time <laughs> <laughs> and i yeah, i don't even know what was going on i don't know but what girl it was about you know, who knows? And and you were there and you listened to me and you drove out of the middle of nowhere and that was super cool and super meaningful and I I, well, thank I, you. I remember that. No, thank you. No, I really enjoyed uh, our conversations over the years. <laughs> We've had a lot of really good ones. And uh so that was the that was kind of the point. And um I'm glad that we're we're chatting about it. Um so to the point of you introducing me to Twin Peaks. You said you didn't even know that was you. <laughs> that that wasn't it. That you didn't, I didn't even have you to thank for. You didn't know that. No. Um, like I had already been, uh, it was during, again, one of these these uh, discussions and exchanges of fandom. And uh, I was talking about Lost Highway because I actually saw that, I think, uh, for my birthday on my lonesome at the Cineplex Odeon in the middle of the day. Uh, um <laughs> And I think we were talking about David Lynch and you, you said to me, oh, so you must like Twin Peaks or something to that effect. And I was like, what's Twin Peaks? I think you're ringing a bell with me. I think I oh. seem to recall this. I was like, tell me, tell me more. What is this? And you're like, oh, it was on television. Is this a TV series? I was like, no. And again, this is circa 1996, 97. Where am I going to see this at this point? So I proceed to uh, chase down every VHS copy in town and every blockbuster <laughs> trying to find it and, and watched it some of it out of order because I couldn't find the next tape so I was like fuck it I'm gonna watch this one because I had to see more so thank you you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> I mean what's your experience with I mean were you there uh, live in in 92 when it was happening yeah. I, I was completely disconnected at that point we were I had a I had a kind of um proto fanboy uh, friend at the, at the time I didn't realize how much of a fanboy I was I was just kind of like oh he's an enthusiast of these certain things and whatever and now looking Ooh, back that's a discussion enthusiast versus back, fanboy yeah what? oh yeah he was so ahead of the curve mm-hmm. on all that kind of thing and he would um, trade bootleg movies and bootleg TV shows and he'd be you know writing people in Canada and writing people in Japan and he was part of that early kind of VHS 
mm-hmm. um, I dare say, videodrome style culture, um, except without the snuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so he'd, sure. he'd have all sorts of weird stuff. But um, is this anyone I know? Uh, Ed Spira. I don't know I don't if you ever met him. him. No. I used to work with him at the Wildcat in uh, okay. in college back. In um, the Wildcat, nineteen ninety to ninety three, the Arizona Daily Wildcat, the U of A Daily okay. Student newspaper. Mm-hmm. For those of you who don't know, at the time, the fifth largest circulated college daily. Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I well, wrote we're going to delve into that as well. Your uh, status as an author and things as well. Oh, uh, really exciting! Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, and so I'd go over to. Um, him and his fiance Anne's house and we would um have coffee and donuts and watch Twin Peaks wow. and at the end of every show we'd be like ah you know and, and like oh where's it gonna go and what's gonna happen and you know because David Lynch has that wonderful way of uh throwing out the fish hook that mm-hmm. keeps you coming back and wanting to know where that's gonna go um that kind of ever-present low-level energy of threat and mysteriousness and the uncanny um that is just true enough to uh ring your internal bell um and go oh yeah no that's happening somewhere right now (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i mean so yeah i was watching it as it was being broadcast yeah i was i was like i said small town at the time it was even on didn't even know what was happening around me uh i probably could have but at the time, I think I was just high school trying to put the little band together and wasn't paying attention to like film or you know anything other than, I want to play rock and roll. <laughs> that was about <laughs> it. So I really have you to thank for it. And it was quite, quite a ride. I mean, I finally got a full set of the tapes from Suncoast Video, a little uh, store you out there might have heard of is now <laughs> half gone. I don't think they even exist anymore. <laughs> And got that full set, and I, I watched those tapes into the ground. The log box. Oh, no, the log box. Well, the back. You the know back. even more than I. <laughs> Sorry, these guys. The back had the um the log print on the back, so that way if you had it on the shelf, it looked just like a log. I did not have that box, but now oh. I'm gonna have to dig out my tapes and <laughs> and just put them up just so that you can see them. No, mine wasn't that. That sounds fancy. Where did you see that? It was just it was just the slipcase that really? the tapes came in when you Son got the whole a... set. I mean, I'm sure there was probably more than one whole set. Yeah. yeah. I remember how excited I was uh, just that they were considering putting it on DVD, mm-hmm. watching the change from you know VHS to DVD, and now we finally got the uh, complete mystery on Blu-ray. And it's it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. I, I don't have it. I keep waiting for it to come into the store. It hasn't wandered in there yet? It, it wandered in once, but then I was like, okay, that's a big chunk of trade, so I'm going to hold off yeah. for now and, <laughs> and i just recently watched it anyway so yeah. i was a little less motivated to buy it at the time but i'm gonna get it it's a it's an it's a nice little box did you did you look through it at the back the the the, the very back there's a little pile of dirt with the fire walk with me neat no. there. yeah if you dig it if you dig far enough beneath the surface yeah, that's great stuff i love it <laughs> I'm, I'm really just i'm counting the days although i'm a little worried about how it's going to be presented and wondering whether or not i'm going to try and keep up as it goes along or i'm gonna wait I mean, do you think, what would you do? If you had your option of week to week, which I think they're going to do two episodes the first night, followed by two episodes that are going to stream directly from Showtime exclusively. So one, two, three, and four, all in one night. Whoa. And then they're going to start releasing them once a week. Uh, would you rather wait? Or are you going to try and catch it 
as often as you can. If I had my druthers, I would wait and do the whole shebang. Mm-hmm. But um, with the unfortunate spread of media and oh, pre-news and what someone is going to be like, hey, did you like the part where Audrey chokes on a bone? And it's like, <laughs> and like what? And huh? and then and then that's spoiled for me. Like, yeah. oh, what? She dies choked on a bone. So uh, who knows? Yeah. So do you think, that, I mean, is that, are those types of uh, uh, cliffhangers going to be addressed, you think, directly? <laughs> or are we just going to jump right in? Audrey survives, survives the explosion. Uh, she, uh, what? What do you think? Well, that's obvious. Or I mean, do you I'm, not even want to talk about things like that, which I respect also. Uh, like no speculation here in the no, red room right now. No, we can speculate, but I, I think perhaps you're privileged. I don't, I mean, are you still on media blackout for it or no? I haven't looked at anything. See, me neither. So, I mean, if, okay, let's say Audrey does die in the explosion, uh, which sad cakes. Okay. Um, does she come back the 30 years later, Laura style ghost is that's why she's wearing the black dress on the entertainment weekly cover. Oh, oh, I didn't oh. even look at it that. I didn't even look at it that closely. Oh my god! That's no, I just made that up. Actually, oh, I did. actually, yeah. Right now, I'm, I'm just guessing. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think that this that the series kind of even lends itself to not even speculating. Why even speculate? Because it's going to be so unexpected. How do you even predict something like that? Well, I, I think part of the the Lynchian uh, narrative is that it goes outside the box, and mm-hmm. I think we are so set in our ways of thinking of you know five act drama Mm -hmm. three act drama that um we're bound to be surprised by what he comes up with i mean you and i just recently attended a showing of uh david lynch's the art life yes and we saw how peculiar his upbringing was this kind of post modern 50s um, this, not quite Rockwellian, like say Rockwell, tinged with a fifteen percent nightmare, uh-huh. <laughs> and that's that's kind of the, the the feeling that we got from him. So he's he seems to be attuned to that kind of energy and that kind of um diversion in in both the the secular and the metaphysical world. And so he's going to do something unexpected. And so I'm not saying it's useless to speculate. However, I think that at the end of the day, we're going to be surprised. The the documentary biopic, whatever it really was, it was it was fantastic. And I hadn't seen one approached from that perspective before quite like that. I, I mean, have you seen anything that was really quite like that, like for the tale of an artist? No, I hadn't. And I think it was it was. Uh, tailored with a subject in mind i think uh, the subject yeah. uh, uh, the, yeah. the 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 documentarians obviously knew uh the audience that was going to watch this mm-hmm. and knew that they could do this with their subject so they edited it in such a way and they soundtracked it brilliantly in such a way to get the same kind of like feeling like ah this is where the roots where the log originally came from mm-hmm. you know and this is what is still whispering to you in his works today and to see kind of um how naive and honest and at the same time sophisticated and damaged and uncanny his his paintings are Mm -hmm. um was was really was really interesting you know and when he talks about that moment where his father kind of realizes that something is not quite right with his son 
um, is something that's conveyed when those canvases and those uh, word poems are flashed up on the screen uh, for the viewer. Um, it's the same kind of like uh, friction, mm -hmm. except at this point we are, we have an appetite for that. As Lynch fans, as, 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 Lynch. as, as, as like consumers of that, uh, that vision. I think not only as Lynch fans, but mm -hmm. I think because um, we recognize the shadow mm -hmm. as something that is worth exploring and worth delving into. Um, and I think Lynch does that all the time with his stuff. His, the aesthetic of the, the films versus his uh, paintings, his sculptures, is really interesting to me because that's some of that work borders on the grotesque in the fa very fascinating way. His, his experiments he was talking about with like with animals and like he, he was on he did an interview once where he talked about he made a, a carved head out of ham and stuffed it full of cheese or something and watched it you know <laughs> decay and melt and the bugs eat it and that's just incredible and then you think about something like blue velvet with the 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 shot of the ear and the ants and you see that kind of thing but then there's like this 50s like you said rockwellian kind of look to twin peaks and even uh even in, even in mulholland some of the costume design just the look of it is kind of clean and more americana but with just that hint that you know there's something underneath it that's not quite that pristine. I think that's that's the the uh, underlying in, in retrospect, the underlying observation of the '50s, the projection of propriety of uh, white Anglo-Saxon Protestantism, mm -hmm. um, of that you know, hey, clean-cut American culture, um, but that's untrue. It's a it's an ideal, but at the same time, it's also a facade mm -hmm. um, for what's for what's going on. I'm not sure how this really works into it, but I saw a quote. You know, there's always these little bullet points that uh, advertise the film. It's like uh, Lynch is dialed into the American psyche, and I I kind of disagree with that <laughs> because I think that the general American psyche is not quite as complex as as lynch or his work so being dialed into the american psyche i think is more like the kardashians they're the american psyche as as sad as that may be that's my view of the american <laughs> psyche they want the kardashians and reality tv and that's it um what do you think what am i am i wrong there no you're not i think we have a twitter-based tabloid culture mm -hmm. um which I hate to admit, but that's true. I um, I despair. Uh, <laughs> but conversely, you know, I I despair. I I believe that uh, we're not all equal. Um, I, not everyone is an astronaut. Not everyone can play it's guitar. True. Not everyone can write. Not everyone is an artist. Or at least not everyone is a good artist. <laughs> you know, that's why there's so many coloring books out yeah. there. Okay. And I... I think because of that spread, you have a lot of substandard, you have a whole lot of mediocrity, and then you have the individuals and the stars against which they shine. Cue the applause. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and then not, not all of us actually achieve the recognition or the fame that um, we have for our talents. And part of that can be networking and part of that can be timing. Um, 
and that's just how it goes um you echo sentiments i've already made time and time again and i think a lot of people even in my own close personal relationships sometimes don't feel that or understand it so it's very refreshing to hear it coming from you as well <laughs> i mean i realize it's not a very uh correct for whatever that term is worth thing to say mm -hmm. i mean we 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 like to think that we're all on some sort of even playing field um we like to all think that we have an equal shot in this land of opportunity or in the world and it's not so it's not so and that's kind of okay that's just how it's always that's just been, how it is and honest. that's that yeah I mean, I, I don't have, uh, there, I have no counterpoint to that. I, somebody's going to have it better than me. Someone's going to have it worse. And someone's more talented and someone else's isn't. And there's just, there's only just the, the flood of mediocrity that you mentioned. I think there's people that have a lot more attitude and ego than sense. And they have a, um, projection of themselves that um they are owed that they are entitled to um more than the other guy mm -hmm. and that usually isn't true <laughs> it got real serious here I, and i just mean to say that i actually don't mind oh i mean don't don't mind even even that isn't exactly accurate i i, I enjoy the appreciation of others work I recognize that other people have gifts that I do not have and I will celebrate those things that I that I adore that I love that I take pleasure for that's something that gives me uh, a little bit more reason in this you know existence so like every the, the, the work that Lynch does the work that um, I don't know pick pick any of your favorite artists authors anything and you can just be so grateful that somehow the universe kind of clicked together that that exists and you get to enjoy it that you get to appreciate it well i think that's kind of the, the beauty of of art and of of fandom that there's something that comes along and you're like oh that totally speaks to me and that mm -hmm. may or may not be true that may there may be a complete disconnect with who you are and what you're about but it doesn't matter because as a viewer you're bringing that mm -hmm. and that enriches um, your life because you suddenly feel a connection to something larger than yourself and it also can be very inspiring it's like oh that that validates me in 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 some way on an emotional level mm -hmm. you know and in turn it can inspire me to um free myself up to actually express myself to go out and write a poem to mm -hmm. go out and paint a canvas to go out and turn a chunk of rock into something beautiful and and that's that's terrific i mean i know there's probably nights where you know you and I spent the same the same night at home as an adolescent and listened to The Cure and was just like, yes, that's it. That's where I am right now. <laughs> See, <laughs> you know, and thank yeah. you, Robert Smith. Thank you. We're out there. What, even though there, we're still waiting on the B-side to 413, uh, you know, what is it, 15 years later? It's, you know, I'm patient. <laughs> I, unlike some, have not lost faith. <laughs> But I, I, I like those stories too. It's really hard not to kind of just fall back into that because I, we have like these uh, shared stories and experiences and, and people that we've known. And, but I also still enjoy moving forward with the conversation and, and seeing where it's going to, you know, what, what's next. Um, so with, uh, with Twin Peaks, now men introduced, we had that that we could share. Um, uh, for those listening now can tell that we have the Robert Smith 
the cure to mm-hmm. share um the the self-expression that you were just talking about something that gave you the the uh, confidence or the drive or something was within you that made you want to create you as a writer you know uh, what what was the catalyst for that is that was that always in you like I, i'm just really astounded by the writing a book i think <laughs> like, what? that as a reader as a certain point if you're a serious reader um you hit a wall and you're kind of like man i love reading i love collecting books i am a bibliophile but then you're you're kind of like well why hasn't this story been written mm-hmm. and it can be argued there's only two stories i mean if you want to be two. Oh yeah if you want to be like a, a reductivist and i can't remember who said this but it was a probably joseph campbell um <laughs> it was either like hero goes on a journey or stranger comes to town <laughs> everything else is a variation of these two stories okay. you kind of think about okay. it and uh, tends to be mostly true but I, I i don't really necessarily like buying into that because i mean again sure like back to david lynch things can surprise you someone else can come along and go i'm gonna tell it this way and that's kind of what it boils down to it's how you want to tell it so mm-hmm. you know you you read 100 vampire novels and you realize no one is actually telling the story this way that i want it told so you belly up to the bar you start writing and whether that's a poem or a short story or a novella or a chapter book or a novel or a series, um, you make that happen. And and again, not everybody makes that jump. Mm-hmm. Um, it it I can tell you from my own experience that it takes a lot of personal inertia to finish a book. It's not easy peasy and you wouldn't think it because i walk in a room every day there's a quarter of a million books and honestly i'm i'm gonna bet 150,000 of those are rubbish but (laughs) but the but the other the other hundred thousand kudos to those guys and you know and there's people out there who are commercial writers it's like you know i think um stephen king who is a talented author and it knows his craft but i think sometimes he pumps out a book a year just to do it um just for the exercise of it i mean i, I think i remember he said when uh, from a buick gate came out and started selling in the millions he kind of half-heartedly apologized and said i think i just rewrote christine it, it's another it's <laughs> oh, another wait. it's another car story uh-huh. so um but back to the creative process yeah i mean it's a it's a it's a hard road to hoe you're 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 literally godding you are creating something from absolutely nothing it's you and a keyboard and the blank page and whole cloth you world build and um there's something miraculous in that there is something um divine uh, go to go back to godding uh about it and um i'm I'm not trying to elevate because not everything that comes out is godlike. It's not. I mean, what am I? What am I? But the act of it is the act of what you're talking about. Maybe not the actual content, and you know. But I think that you're on the right track. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and there's people that can secularly reduce it. I mean, look at NaNoWriMo. I mean, that's a that's. I think that's a ridiculous process. And and hats off to everybody who <laughs> actually does it. And I know there's really good things that actually come out of NaNoWriMo. And tell us about that. Like, I'm not familiar. Rhino is National Novel Writing Month, which is November. Oh, okay. So you uh, have a challenge to write. Uh, I 
can't remember how many thousands of words it is a day. 3,000, 5,000? Not sure. One of you out there, I'm sure, knows. Um, and at the end of the month, you have a 50,000-word novel. I had a friend that did it in 16 days. Um, but he knew at the end of the process that what he had was rubbish. And he, <laughs> he, he freely admitted it. But he was yeah. like, you know what? I, I did it to do it. And to go back to... Sometimes that's an, that's a thing in and of itself. Do it to do it. Oh, it is because yeah. at, at that point you've done it once. Mm -hmm. So if you sit down again and you take the time to do it, or conversely, you spend the next eleven months kind of planning what you're going to do next November, you can come out with something fairly decent, you know. Um, but the deal is with writing: the more you write, the more the the, the better you get. Usually, I mean, it's like practicing guitar. Sure. So, um, like, I know what I'm talking about. Ha ha! <laughs> I played guitar for like a couple months in junior high whatever you know but um i'm i'm playing to mitch here so um yeah i mean my my first creative writing teacher uh dies of um well my first collegiate one anyway um said that sometimes you got to write the 100 pages of dross to get the 10 pages of gold yeah and um if you're lucky it doesn't take that much but that tends to be true as as a as a as someone who's an accomplished writer and someone who's worked on papers and things like that it, it's also very impressive to me because growing up um i had teachers who were who were like praising my writing they were like oh this is great and they loved it loved it to the point of filling my head full of malarkey <laughs> i get to school and like paper after paper my my professor's like this this is this is crap this is what are, what are you writing here this is what is this and it was very disheartening it was it was it was pretty crushing but i wasn't on that path to being a writer particularly it was just something that i thought oh look i kind of have a natural inclination to this already i have a uh that i'm not really honing but at least i'm not crap at it but the difference between i'm getting by versus actual quality writing that's where like you come in someone who's actually gifted in the craft you know someone who can actually put words together that that that, that you know that are moving and you know you are a wordsmith like anyone listening right now can already tell that you have a way um, Thank you. So, <laughs> I mean, it's it's really quite a talent. So, uh, can, kudos on that. <laughs> can I ask about the transition you just talked about? Was, yeah. was it more that that you were a big fish in a small pond for high school, and then when you went on to college, that the stuff that you were turning in suddenly, by contrast with the larger pool, wasn't as it very much could have. And, and I I think that yeah, you probably hit it pretty good there. It was very much big fish small pond you know kind of scenario like I grew up um 3,000 people in my small town you know it was very Ferris Bueller-y like I, I had all the like the the different groups I was pretty much friends with everyone and did all the different activities and had my little band and you know there was no one to hold you back really I mean unless you let yourself you held yourself back but um, participating in all those uh, extracurriculars like debate and creative writing clubs. And, and I did all of that and uh, extemporaneous speaking, like speech tournaments, all that kind of thing. And when you're in a small town, it's easy to kind of stand tall. But uh, the reality of it is kind of coming back to that mediocrity thing and the thing we we're talking about earlier is you might shine brightly in that environment. But in the, the harsh light of reality, you may not cut it. And that was, that was a tough pill to swallow. I don't know, Mitch. The, the longer I live in Tucson and the more that I see it grow, the more I feel like it's getting a little too big. There's Tucson? Just, yeah. 
that there's okay. too many people here that there's a, a, a I mean uh, not the pretension of say Seattle okay or of Portland <laughs> did you hear that Portland, Portland. <laughs> <laughs> sorry Jen um that uh I don't know it, it I I I'm I'm starting to idealize a, a removal from that. I'm I'm having mm-hmm. a strange cabin retirement fantasy in, mm-hmm. in my life right now, and I just keep thinking, "Wow, I I kind of want to get away from this." It's a nice dream, I gotta tell you. You're you're Tucson native, correct? I am. I'm third generation, there and I, I I love Tucson. Sure. Don't get me wrong out there. I think Tucson is awesome. Dirty T, keep Tucson shitty. <laughs> See, I don't like that expression, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> really, but I love it. I, I you know, I, I actually kind of do. Let's, okay, well, just well, no, no, spin it off, spin it off, spin it off. Yeah, we can. But, but go on. You were saying. I get, the, I get the, I get the sentiment behind it. Uh-huh. I get the fact that like, let's keep Tucson real. Let's keep it yeah. what it is. Let's not um, hyperextend it into Phoenix or uh, in, in in the Dallas or some yeah. other kind of like awful like yay Let's dress up downtown and make it look like everything else i don't mind the dress up of downtown so much what kills me is that there's no parking it's like okay let's make this area super attractive and let's give people tax breaks to set up businesses here and let's let's renew and revitalize downtown because i'd rather have something than nothing down there uh, i'm with you I get but it. it's like okay but i miss the grill I really don't miss the grill. (laughs) (laughs) And I think we can agree to disagree on that. I'm sure there's lots of you out there who may be listening in Tucson who totally miss the Red Room and totally miss the snarky waitresses and the bad service and the $5 bowl of Captain Crunch and and all of that stuff. And it had its own charm. Don't get me wrong. And it was cool. You'd you'd have four beers. You'd sit down there. You'd see the fashion show. Mm-hmm. You'd see all the club people stumble in and all the different stripes. And there was something culturally beautiful about that. You know, these douchebags next to drag queens. And you'd be like, wow, man. You know, and you'd be like, oh, that girl's hot. What's she doing with him? And just all, <laughs> all that, all that. You know, it was, it, was like, it was like an after party without, you know, trying to hunt one down. Yeah. And, um... But man, I mean, I, I don't know. I just so you're looking for a small town, like art community, someplace where you can s- still put, you know, still create and put something out. Or what, yeah, I mean, what, I mean or you, at, you want the let's go back to internet society. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to everybody has a spot in the public forum. Okay, partly true. I'm not saying it's necessarily a good thing, but it's there. That genie's out of the bottle, and that's cool because I'm not an ivory tower guy. I hate the idea that the universities still have a corner on um, legitimate academic achievement because Mm -hmm. that's false now. It's not true. You're being sold a product just like anything else. Um, So, whoa, where was I going? The, (laughs) (laughs) the, um, the, uh, the idea that if if I'm in a community of 3000 or Uh if I'm in a cabin out in the woods on two acres, you know, it's, it's me and bears, whatever. Um, that I can shoot something up to the satellite, it can hit all the big cities it needs to be, and I still get my audience, and that's super cool. And, you know, um, I mean, right now, the second most uh, red hit country for my blog is Russia. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm writing necessarily that appeals 
to people in Russia. But I want to thank you for reading me, Russia. Where can we read you? You can read me at Dark Entries, which is a blog spot. Um, so that's my blog. Um, if you look up like Dark Entries, Guillermo the Fourth, um, you'll find my blog. So uh, yeah, go hit it. Go so go sub. find it. Check it out. Go favorite. Go plus. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I don't really know what that's about. But but yeah, so I can be out in the middle of nowhere yet still get my audience and that's super cool too i don't i don't you know unless you're like in the entertainment industry i don't really think you have to go to the Mm -hmm. big cities that is something that has drastically changed even in the last 10 years last 15 years the ability to i mean there was already this talk of telecommuting and this we've watched this change in our lifetime but now that even as entertainers or someone you know like an, an artist someone who's producing and creating uh, for whatever audience you have, uh, you don't have to be in a metropolitan area. You don't have to be like in direct contact with your audience. You can, like you said, bounce it off a satellite. So barring that, um, what is most fulfilling to you as an artist? Is is it the feedback you get from them? Is it the fact that you've created and, and expressed? What is it that really keeps you creating? I think it's the fact that I still have things to say. Um that as I live, I run into things that I think are exciting and provocative and inspiring. And those things in turn give me material to write about. Uh, For instance, I recently saw a cryptid at my parents' house. I saw what I believe to be a chupacabra. And there goes my credibility out the window. (laughs) But I have a picture. No, we want to hear this story. Oh, you have a picture? (laughs) I have a picture. So go look at my blog. There's a picture. And it looks like every single other awful picture you saw of Bigfoot, of a UFO. Oh, I can't wait to see this. It's grainy. It's out of focus. It's awful. And and there's a reason for it. I wasn't trying to be a bad photographer. But as Mitch has said, I'm not a photographer. I'm a writer. (laughs) All right? So read the words and take the picture for what it is because that's what I was able to get. As as an artist, do you you like to dabble in other fields, uh, other fields of artistry and creativity? Recently, I created, which is probably going to be one of my next blogs, a um, a Warhammer sheath clutch. Like, how can I explain this? Um, You know how you like you have a sword in your back and you can draw it. (laughs) So I wanted something like that. Yes, I yes, I know that. Yes, of course. You you carry, you know. Um, So uh, I wanted something that you could have. Um, the handle of the Warhammer sticking up over your shoulder and you just grab it and swing forward and clobber whomever straight out of the gate. So, but such a thing doesn't exist and it's not historically correct. If you were a foot soldier and or a knight and you had a Warhammer, you either carried it in your hand the whole time or you tucked it in your belt. Those I'd were, be a belt guy. Those were your choices. Okay. Yeah. And so I was like, well, wouldn't it be quicker if... And then I looked into it and I was like, nobody's invented this. This weapon's been around since the 1400s. No one came up with this. Okay. And so I thought, how would I do it? And I, it was funny. It was kind of an exercise to help myself go to sleep. Okay. And so uh, sometimes before going to bed, an idea would hit me and I'd go sketch it out. And I'm, I'm not an artist. I'm not an engineer. I'm really not. And this, <laughs> this proves it. Um, but conversely, I managed to do this. It took me about three and a half months Mm-hmm. I'm at my kitchen counter using materials that I'd never worked with before. Um, so it was me messing around with a Dremel pit, uh, a Dremel kit, and a bunch of uh, PVC pipe, and a bunch of faux leather, and uh, waxed cord for stitching, 
and all this other stuff and I I had to put this thing together and um, I managed to make it so you can you can yank the Warhammer out over your shoulder and clobber whomever and when you're done with it you can pop it back into the clamp that's on your back and did you document this whole experiment this, I did, this, I've, did I've got some pictures okay. of, of some of it and I got some pictures of it complete and some yeah. pictures of me wearing it so I'm gonna post that relatively soon probably in the next two months uh, once I get the text out so yeah um, I'm, I'm I feel really accomplished because I created something that had never been invented before and um, you know because like you look at okay let's talk about Marvel Thor you look, at, you look at, <laughs> at at panels of Marvel Thor sure and now that he's got it tucked in his belt yeah. which is correct or you sometimes see the handle poking up off of his back like behind the cape but you don't see but you don't see the hardware you don't sure. know how that works and in if we talk about Norse lore and we talk about actual Thor um, divine Thor uh, red Thor he the the hammer has the ability to shrink down to any size that he wants so he can just like tuck in his pocket or you know and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter it's not an issue for him yeah i mean it is the physical embodiment of thunder that produces lightning and so he can just go what and it comes out like immediately and the giant's done um but marvel thor's hammer can't do that so he would he'd carry it like that and i was always like okay how does he do it and I, you know what i ended up doing i ended up watching um mystery men Again, mystery sh- men, yes, like yeah. Janine Garofalo, that like that mystery man, totally, okay. yes, okay. Um, remember Janine? Oh yeah, man. I Janine, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm gonna put you in my all the ladies feed. Uh, it's gonna happen. So, um, that's on Google Plus. So, uh, <laughs> if um, the the shoveler, the shoveler has yes, of, the shoveler, he has kind of like a clamp <laughs> for the shovel. So mm-hmm. I sort of like freeze frame that and kind of like took a bit of inspiration okay. from how that worked. Um, yeah. You must sleep two hours a night. No, that's not true. Although with uh, Odin Force Blend, <laughs> tonight may be the night where I only get two hours sleep. Might be. I feel pretty sweaty. Yeah, <laughs> it is a little warm and the, the AC just oh, no, kicked on. Oh, it's the coffee. Is it the coffee? <laughs> oh, I didn't think about that. It's totally Maybe coffee. Was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, back to the, to the crux of the story. Yeah. Um, looking a little bit at that for reference, thinking about how it would work, I actually came up with a rig. And so, you know, a person could ostensibly ride a horse or climb a mountain and not have the Warhammer like fall off of their back because the clamp has enough hold to do that, yet it has enough uh, release to unclamp when you grab that handle and swing it forward. Huh. Well, I look forward to seeing that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank yes, you. yes. Achievement. <laughs> so achievement is its own reward. <laughs> it is. I, I think, you know, when you write... Oh, you're going to let my Twin Peaks quote just f- fall by the wayside right there? It was. I missed it. Yeah. Achievement that's, is that's, its own reward. Does Dale say that? No, that's that's uh, Major Briggs. Oh, yeah. Major you wear, you wear shiny medals on your chest. Are you proud? <laughs> achievement is its own reward. Pride he says that to it. Yeah, he says... No, he says that to the log lady. Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. I spent way too much time watching it, but yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, and strangely enough, that's another one of those many uh, quotes from that show that has continued to like kind of guide my life. You know, yeah. Achievement is its own reward. I don't need a pat on the back. I can, I can do that myself. So yeah. But yeah, I'm sorry. Well, Briggs, Briggs was a big, a big font of profoundness. Yeah. I think. I was expecting... Um, in my rebellious youth, 
after you, you know, introduced me to it and the characters introduced, I'm like, oh no, here comes the stiff, you know, military dad. And this is not going to be who I'm, you know, identifying with. I do not, I'm not going to like this. Um, I thought, again, this is Lynch turning things on, on its ear. I thought for sure he would not be my thing, but I loved the major. The major's great. Yeah. I think as, as time marches on and when I viewed it the second and third times, I was like, oh no, this is this may be the only character on here who actually knows what's going on in this show. Ooh. You, it, you say this because of his, his military background and the, the secret uh, projects that he was on or because of his spiritual nature? Both, but both. also he actually goes and comes back. Yeah. And there's a there's a time travel thing that obviously happens because he comes back wearing World War One uh-huh. pilot gear, amazingly enough. So you sort of wonder, oh yeah. I see. <laughs> I see how much I am still not seeing. <laughs> yes. Sorry, after I, and we were on onto something else and I was just too uh too caught up in my Twin Peaks quote. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's all right. I mean, this is the, you know from the red room, so yeah. yeah. I, and it is odd that it ended up being being that, but it, it just felt it felt right for me. It felt right. Let's let's uh, kind of wrap it up then. Let's, okay. Let's, let's bring it bring it around. Um, parting sentiments, you know, thoughts on either uh, your life as an artist, what you want to come back and talk about next time, uh, or maybe even just you know uh, what your hopes for the near future might be. For myself, for the world in general, for the world in general, for you, for 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 the new season of Twin Peaks, I don't care. Um, you know, leave I, us with something. I am so stoked for the new season of Twin Peaks, but again, I don't own any sort of cable-y thing, so I'm hoping to be here for it. <laughs> here? Are you? Sure. Uh, would you actually come here? I would come here, Mitch. That would be fantastic. Yeah, we I would mean, love to have you because that's yeah. that's absolutely. You know, that's gonna happen. Cool. So, okay, sounds yeah. good. I would love it if you were here because I have other, uh, you know, friends and colleagues and and so few of them understand and they always give me strange looks because I, I wax so poetic and, and glossy eyed and I love it so much and they're like, this is all right. And they're like, well, you just don't get it then. So you don't come back. Well, I think I think that goes back to the to the uh, the success of, of things that are lowest common denominator oh, and mediocrity. Because Twin Peaks doesn't speak to everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think it takes a certain uh, person to see the depth within the uh, darkly tinged, quirky mm-hmm. world that David Lynch uh, presents. And so that, again, back to our finishing thoughts. I'm really looking forward to more of that flavor of ice cream because not a lot of people do that. There's a, there's a subtlety that some people just miss. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. And then um, what I wanted to touch on with that, real, you know, again, tying it all up, with Twin Peaks kind of giving birth to uh, so many television shows, you, you have to point to it as being pretty influential in modern TV. Uh, everything from X-Files to Northern Exposure on forward, because I know even now I'm quoting old shows, but the bizarrity of, say, um, American Horror Story. Do you think that its impact or flavor is going to be like lessened at all? Do you think there's an audience that the modern audiences may not appreciate it or may not think that it's, I don't think that's going to lose any edge, but do you see where I'm going with this question? Do you under, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. I think sometimes 
the youth culture or the people that come later don't necessarily realize that the things that they like stand on the shoulders of giants. And if you do a media studies course, um, if you do film review, and I'm obviously talking about myself in both of those uh, instances, um, that you don't know, you know, but then it's kind of like you, you start following certain visual tropes and certain stories and certain methods uh, further back um, in film or in literature or in television shows and you kind of see where things came from and um you know there's things that lynch owes of course um, yes you know but that he puts together in his own wonderful way that people didn't do so before him and um that's kind of part of the, the beauty of it um yeah but i mean if you if you do the homework um you gain an appreciation more for for what you're watching i think that there's not a lot of people who do that though but now everyone's got a phone in their pocket they can look something up on they can go oh my god that's really cool where did that come from what was that like so the access to that is now more readily available i don't have to spend 300 dollars a unit to go figure that out which is good <laughs> no it is good but you got to do the homework you yeah. got to be willing to utilize the tool that's at your disposal for the good not the bad agreed anyway so thanks again for listening um this has been uh guillermo <laughs> <Interrena> the fourth <laughs> and mitch coming at you from the red room thanks again have a good night